I'll just go ahead and dive in. We're going to, we're just going to talk briefly tonight. We're going to continue the conversation on what it means to follow Jesus, the biblical command to follow me, to be his disciples. Oh, I feel like it's happening. Yeah, there it is. Awesome. It's so fun when your lights are controlled by a computer and you don't know why the computer isn't working. <laughs> anyway, story of my life. So we're going to kind of, uh, we're going to go through the, a few passages in the book of Luke, and then we're going to get together in groups, and we're going to pray for one another, prophesy one another. Oh, prophesy to one another, encourage one another in following Jesus with all of our heart, right? There's always, there's always, um, I think of loving the Lord with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, and with all of my mind. And I don't do that perfectly. There's always an area that God is like encouraging me to press in and reach for more faith and to, and to uh, not hold back that part of my heart. And so we never really attain to the fullness of this. We will in the resurrection. I think it's going to be amazing. Our resurrected bodies, our resurrected minds, not having a flesh that longs to sin, but having flesh that longs to obey Jesus. How would you love it? I, I mean, I would just love that. My flesh longs to obey God. I don't have to fight my flesh. Ooh, that's going to be a good day, right? But God releases that power now by His Spirit to deny ourselves, take up our, up our cross, and follow Him. So, so we're going to get into groups and pray for one another tonight. Let's first turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Before we get into this, I want to share a story. When we were in sermon prep last week, I, uh, we were talking about following and what it means to follow someone and, and how, um, <laughs> JR, you like that? <laughs> JR said I, I chickened out on Sunday for sharing this story. I don't know if I chickened out. I just didn't go there. But, <laughs> but um, we were talking about in sermon prep, what, it, what does it mean to follow someone? And... And you got to stay close behind them. And you're not in uh, control of actually where you're going. Another's in control, and you're following that person. And, and just some of the principles of, of, of following. And I thought of this memory with my wife and I. So we were in Kansas City. We have seven children at this point in our marriage. And um, we still have seven children at this point in our marriage, by the way. <laughs> But, uh, but, we, <laughs> but we, um, we had four biological children. We adopted two precious girls from Ethiopia, and they came in as our oldest daughters. And then we had a fifth biological child. That's kind of like the order of how our seven children uh, came into the Meyer family. And so with seven children, God lays on our heart to sell everything we have, go to Brazil, and plant a church. We weren't the primary leaders of the church plant, but we were on the team, and we were going to Brazil to establish night and day prayer in southern Brazil, a city called Florianopolis. The, the ministry's still going. It's called uh, Floripa House of Prayer. And, um, and so it's just one of those crazy times, like, where the world would say, what are you doing? You have two, our girls are twins, our adopted daughters are twins. We had two 13-year-old daughters. We had an 11-year-old son, a 10-year-old daughter, a 8-year-old son, a 7-year-old son, and a 2-year-old daughter, okay? Thir seven kids under 13 years old, which right there, that's just like, what are you thinking? <laughs> but Jesus knows. Jesus knows. That's the faith of my wife. That's not my faith. <laughs> and so... We get this leading, and we pray into it, and then we, we just we decide to do it. So we take the eight months it takes to sell your stuff, get the visas, start learning the language, figure out how to get some of your stuff down to Brazil. 
So we're finally at like the, that last stage of, of flying to Brazil. So we couldn't fly out of Kansas City. There wasn't an international flight to Brazil. And to fly with nine people is expensive, okay? So I had spent all my money on getting us to Brazil. And then we have, each person has an has a international, like with international travel, you can have two really big pieces of luggage, but you can't fly domestically with two really big pieces of luggage. And so we were trying to get flights from Kansas City to Chicago, and it was like, we're going to spend a fortune. So I had the brilliant idea. We're going to rent two minivans, and we're going to drive from Kansas City to Chicago, which isn't that bad of an idea. And we loaded it down, and we put all the luggage in, and Rachel had half the kids, I had half the kids, and I mean, we looked hilarious, you know, just like these two minivans filled to the brim, and these young parents, you know, just driving from Kansas City to Chicago. So, so we get close to Chicago, and I said, Rachel, why don't I take the lead, and you follow me, and we'll get to the airport, okay? Um, well, it was about 4 p.m. when I made that decision, and the Chicago and traffic, the Chicago and traffic, the traffic in Chicago isn't very much like the traffic in Kansas City. <laughs> and so, so Rachel starts to follow me, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's just that, the, the, to make the story even better, we're running late, and we might miss our flight, Okay. So we didn't do the math right. I don't know if we did the time change wrong or whatever. And, and we're like, we, we got to step on it. Like, we got to get through customs. We, gotta, we, got, we might miss our flight, you know. And so, um, so we're, we're feeling the stress. We're feeling the tension. And, and, and we're, going through down, we're going through the Chicago traffic. And Rachel's trying to stay you know, following me, but people keep cutting in and cutting in, and, and then I'm not realizing that the GPS is telling me to exit in about, you know, a thousand feet. So we're on this huge interstate in Chicago, and I'm three lanes from the exit, and suddenly I realize that I have to, I, there's the exit. So I go across three lanes of traffic, make the exit, and half of my family just keeps on trucking, you know, down the highway. And this is a great memory of, yeah, I remember that time when it was stressful, when we were trying to follow each other. So, Rachel, you know, she throws on her phone and gets GPS going, and, and we're trying to, like, find each other. We're calling each other on the phone. I pull off on the exit, and we, we finally find each other. We make our way to the airport. And I remember when, uh, when we got out of the car, <laughs> I think I said something like, um, why didn't you stay closer to me? And Rachel just like, don't you start. Like, don't, don't you even say a word. Of, you know, that tension that you're feeling. And I just like, a good husband went, oh, this is not, okay. All right, this is not the time. We're good, honey. Let's go. Let's get our bags. Uh, we made our flight. Just a funny thing about going through security with seven children. All of my kids had packed their school supplies in their backpacks, and they each had a pair of scissors. One kid goes through, beep, security. Two kids goes through, beep, security. Three kids, third kid goes through, and we're like, what is happening? They pull out the first pair of scissors. We just go, they packed this. And we told them to, pack your school supplies in your backpack because you're going to need it for the next day. And if we, anyway. So we made the plane. We got to Brazil. All was good. We did not have, we had seven pairs of scissors missing. We had to go to the store and buy scissors for school supplies. So all that to say is sometimes following someone is not that easy, right? Sometimes things get in the way. We're not staying as, I mean, Rachel, you know, she's, she, I'm just playing. Because in this picture, I'm Jesus, and she needs to stay close to me. No, just playing. 
<laughs> so she, she got back on track. She let things get, you know, distract her and get in the middle. And she wasn't ready for the hard turn, but that's okay. The Lord's working on her heart, and uh, she's... <laughs> How about this? Maybe Jesus is a little bit letter, better leader than I am a leader. <laughs> I think he would have foresight to about the mile before crossover. <laughs> but things get in the way, and sometimes we get off course, and sometimes we have to pick up the phone and say, Jesus, where are you? I want to follow you. I've lost you. You know, and in this, in this story, I was the compassionate Savior that pulled off. I, did, I waited for it, guys. I waited for it. No, I'm just playing. So, that's our funny story of following to Chicago. All right, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He says this. We picked it up. We were in Matthew 16 on Sunday, but Luke chapter 9. It just says it with a little bit different focus. It says in verse 23, and he said to all. So he's not just speaking to the disciples here. Mark says, he actually makes a transition and says he's a, he addressed the crowd. So he's speaking to his disciples privately, but then he kind of pulls out and has a, a wider view and context, and everyone around him, he begins to talk to all about what it's going to take to follow him, okay? He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And this is the one time in the, in the three passages that say, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. This is the passage that says, you got to do this daily. This isn't a one-time thing. This isn't five years ago, I was taking up my cross, I was denying myself, but you know, I'm in a season where I'm not really doing that right now. Jesus says, you got to wake up every day thinking like this. And I feel like the comforts of our culture war against this mindset. We do not want to daily die to ourselves. We want to do it in seasons where we feel the Spirit and it's this grand, glorious thing, and Lord, I give my whole life to you. But to get up the next day and do that, and to get up the next day and do that, and to get up the next day and do that, that's where Paul says, that is the fight of faith. It's a wrestle. It's a struggle. But we have been empowered by the Spirit to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to do it daily and follow Him. But guys, I tell you what, there's so much joy in that daily denial of yourselves. You find the pleasure of God. You find the, the joy of the Holy Spirit it is precious. We lose our lives to find his life. I love how John, the first chapter of John, he says, in him was life and light, and this light was the life of men. And we find the life of Jesus as we deny ourselves and take up our cross. It goes on, Forever, for whoever would save his life will lose it. So if you want to save your life in this world, if you want to cling to it, if you want to have your own way, if you want to, if you want to be the leader, it's like you can do that. But I'm going to be very straight with you. You're going to lose your life in the end. Here's the turnaround. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Mark in Mark chapter 8 says, for my namesake and for the gospel. It says, if you lose your life for Jesus' namesake and for the good news, it says, you will save it. In Matthew, it says, you will find it. You will find life. And I love this question. We need to be asking ourselves this all the time. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Mike says all the time that JR used to say, I've never seen someone go into a funeral and there was a U-Haul attached to the hearse, right? What, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world 
and loses or forfeits himself. Matthew says, loses or forfeits his own soul. Verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. <laughs> now, on Sunday in Matthew, we focused on the Son of Man is coming in all of his glory, and he will reward the things that are done in the body. He will reward you every time he sees the smallest ways you are denying yourself. He sees the smallest ways you are taking up your cross and following him, and it's precious to him, and he's coming with heavenly rewards. If you want just a crash course in heavenly rewards, the, the greatest place to go in the New Testament is Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. He talks to seven churches, and he tells them every time that if they overcome, if they conquer, and they're all having to conquer different things. Some people, some, one of those churches is they're being persecuted, and they're having to overcome this temptation to deny Jesus to save their own life. That's a big overcoming. But he tells that church, if you overcome that, you're going to eat from the tree of life that I have in the garden, in the paradise of God. There's still a tree of life in the new Jerusalem that we are going to feast on forever. And he says, and you'll drink from the waters of life. And he says, and the second death will not hurt you. So they're being asked to give up their life. But Jesus reminds them, if they do it, they're going to eat from the tree of life again. They're going to drink from the waters of life. And there's a second death that's coming for those who don't know Jesus. And it's not going to harm them. I say this, Christians, we die once, but we live twice. <laughs> We live now, and we die once, and then we live for eternity. But if you do not know Jesus, you live once and you actually die twice. That's how the Bible describes it. You live now, but you experience death, and then you're in a holding place called hell, and then the second death is described in Revelation chapter 20 as the lake of fire, and it's described as the second death, the second time you die for eternity. That's sobering, right? That's not the fun stuff to preach to people, but it needs to be said with love and compassion, with power. Both heaven and hell need to be preached with boldness because it's reality. And Jesus, he's saying that here. He says, guys, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of of the Father, and of the holy angels. And he's connecting this with the call to take up our cross and follow him. He says, if you don't do this, you're a person that's ashamed of me and ashamed of my words. But I love it. The Son of Man, he just puts truth in front of us. He, he, it's like this. He's been kind in giving us this revelation. If he kind of glossed over this or didn't talk to us in a straight way when it comes to these things, that wouldn't be kindness. Because we would stand before him and we would experience and we would suffer loss and we would say, why didn't you tell us these things? He said, I want to be as clear as I can so that you know what I'm calling you to. This phrase got in my heart of deny yourself now so that you won't be denied then. <laughs> Paul actually speaks to this in a, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to start with verse 8. If you're new to flipping through your Bible, all the T books of the New Testament are in the same place. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Titus, they're all right together. So, so once you find one T, you just kind of flip through and you find the T that you're going for. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
starting with verse 8. I haven't seen this before like this until I was praying through these passages. And it feels like Paul is, is describing what it means to take up a cross and follow him as he's like, has the cross or is hanging on the cross, as he's really suffering for Jesus. He says in verse 8, he's telling Timothy, his beloved disciple, his beloved child in the Lord, he says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember that he's risen from the dead and that he's the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. So he says, Timothy, I want you to remember Jesus in two ways. Remember that he is not dead, that God raised him from the dead, that he took up his cross and followed his father and paid for our salvation on the cross, but the story did not end there. He was, that tomb was ripped open. The Bible describes it as the Father raised him from the dead, the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead, and Jesus himself raised himself from the dead. (laughs) Just take your pick. God, the Trinity, said you are going to overcome death, and he overcame death. And then he uh, he ascended to the right hand of majesty. Oh, I love when Jesus is standing before Caiaphas. This is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Every time that um, it describes Jesus standing before the council of Jerusalem, the leadership of Jerusalem. And they say, tell us if you are the Christ. They say, in Matthew it says, we adjure you by the living God to tell us if you claim to be the Son of God. And he says, you have said it. And he says, and from now on, you're going to see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's the faithful witness, right? He faithfully declared to a vehement, murderous uh, counsel that, yeah, this is real. And you're going to see me seated at the right hand of God. And you're going to see me coming on the clouds of heaven. They tear their robes. Paul wants Timothy to know that this is real. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's the offspring of David. Now, if you do studies in the Old Testament, the offspring of David comes from a few passages, but basically it's saying he is the king that David prophesied that would come after him, that would sit on a throne in Jerusalem and rule the nations forever, and every nation would bow to that one Messiah that's coming. So Paul wants Timothy to know, Timothy, remember Christ Jesus. Put your mind on him. Put your gaze on him. He is risen from the dead, and he is the king. He's the Messiah. Oh, Isaiah chapter 11 is my, one of my favorite passages with this. It says, Jesus, the king, he's the offspring of David. He's the root of of David. He's the stump, that, he's the shoot that came out of David's line. It's a language that it, it says, it says, to him has been given the seven spirits of God, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of power, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and it just keeps on going, and you're just like, yeah, that's my king. But then it says something precious. It says, he does not judge as man judges. He does not judge with the eye, but he judges by the Spirit of God. He evaluates our lives by the Spirit of God, and he will judge on behalf of the poor, and he will judge on behalf of the humble, and he will lift up the humble and the poor in the earth. And then it just says, and all creation under his leadership is going to be at peace with one another. That's the king that you serve. It says the, the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. It says the, the, the infant is going to play in a cobra's den. <laughs> you go, whoa, an infant playing in a cobra's den. Jesus' leadership is so powerful that he makes every wrong thing right in the earth. He even gets inside of nature that he created that fell at the fall and redeems nature. Isn't that amazing? 
That's the God you serve. So if he has power to do that then, he has some great power to work in our lives right now. He has great power to encounter your teenagers. He has great power to... I was praying for my teenagers today. How many of you have teenagers in this room? Lift up your hand. And that slow tear comes down your cheek. You have power to encounter my teenagers. That's why we need to understand this type of power because it causes us to lean into it. God, if you can do that, you could probably turn my daughter's heart toward you to love you. I'm going to believe for that. I'm going to pray for that. So Paul says, remember Jesus, Timothy. Remember that he's risen from the dead. Remember that he's the one who will reign over the earth from Israel, and he'll disciple all the nations. Verse 9. And he says, this Jesus for which this is the person that I am suffering for. Just to get the flow, I'm going to start with verse 8 again. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And he says, for which I am suffering. So Paul is suffering for Jesus. How is he suffering? Next phrase. He's bound with chains as a criminal. Paul was the most non-criminal criminal there's ever been, other than probably Jesus. And just like Jesus was bound, I mean, it says in the Gospels that, that they held him, they tied up his hands and his feet, they put a blindfold over him, and they would strike him. And they would say, tell us who hit you, Christ. Prophesy who hit you. And then they hit him again, and they'd tell us who hit you. Guys, he had power in that moment to call down every angel in heaven and decimate those guards. And he kept silent because he said, if I don't endure this, they don't get to come into the kingdom of my father. So Jesus was bound as a criminal. I mean, oh, just, oh, he did nothing wrong. He never sinned. He was the blameless, spotless lamb of God. And Paul is suffering in a very similar way. I bet that really comforted Paul in prison. Jesus, you really know how to sympathize with me right now because you were really bound and called a criminal, a, someone that, that is threatening the state. But Jesus really was threatening the state because he really was the king of kings and lord of lords. It was a real threat to Caesar. It was a real threat to the leadership of Jerusalem. He's like, I'm really the guy. Anyway. Paul wasn't as much of a threat as Jesus was. But then what does Paul say? He's like, I'm suffering for Jesus. I'm bound with chains as a criminal. But, I love this phrase, the word of God is not bound. He just, I mean, guys, who, would we have this perspective? If we were tied up in the county jail right now and we knew that we were going to go to federal prison and we knew we were going to face a trial where it might cost us our own life, would we take that moment and say, I'm bound in chains, but the word of God is not bound. I was like, oh, Jesus, I want that. I don't have it yet, but I want that. Paul prays, one of my favorite prayers in 2 Thessalonians is, uh, it's right at the end, and he, he says, finally, brethren, it's chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, he says, finally, brethren, pray for us and pray that the word of the Lord would run swiftly and be glorified, just as it was with you, church of Thessalonica. I'm thinking, Paul has asked the church of, Thessal of Thessalonica to pray for him in this way, and I wonder if he's remembering that. I've asked them to pray that the word would run swiftly, that the word would not be bound. And you know what? The word of God is not bound. Anyway. And then he says, so he's suffering for Jesus. He's in chains as a criminal. Verse 10. He says, therefore, I endure everything. And you would think this next phrase would be for the sake of Jesus. But he shifts here. He goes, I am suffering for Jesus. I am in chains for Jesus. He says, but, therefore, I endure everything. And then he says, I'm actually enduring it for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the church. He says, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in 
Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, what Paul does not mean here is his suffering is opening up a door for salvation for Gentile people. That's what Jesus' suffering did, right? His suffering opened up a door that we could run into the presence of God and be justified in His presence. But Paul's endurance is, I think of it in this way. Paul is going, if I deny Jesus right now, if I live selfishly right now, this is going to really hurt the churches that I planted. This is going to really hurt the community of faith. And so, I am suffering for Jesus, but I am enduring in this suffering so that your faith could be strengthened when you're called to suffer. So he's loving God, and you know, it's, it's, the, it's the twofold commandment. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but then we love what? Our neighbors as ourselves. Paul is doing this in prison. He goes, I'm suffering for Jesus. I'm loving God with these chains, but I'm also love, loving my neighbor as myself because I'm enduring in affliction. Guys, I want to tell you this right now. Your suffering that you are going through, your in your affliction that you are going through, when you endure in it, it gives strength to others who are going to ex- experience that same affliction. When you lift your eyes to Jesus, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says this, that we, we suffer, but it says, and God provides a way of escape in the suffering, and you're like, oh, good, that way of escape is that, that we can get out of it. And then Paul just pauses. He goes, he provides a way of escape so that you can endure the suffering. Through any suffering that we are going through, and we're not going through prison, we're not going through these things, but we're experiencing some suffering. We're denying the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We're that seed that's trying to grow and produce a harvest. We're, we're cutting back those weeds of the the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world. How many of you guys know that's a real suffering? And if you don't give in to that, if you don't give up in that, you are going to have a testimony of endurance. And that testimony of endurance, the Lord's going to use that to love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, let me tell you about the time that I went through something similar. Or let me, let me introduce you to someone who endured what you're going through. They endured the exact same thing, and they overcame because Jesus showed up, and Jesus gave them strength, and Jesus was real to them in that season, and they pressed in. I love how um, JR brought this up in ser- sermon prep last week. Just, I didn't mean to spend this much time on this, but just real quickly, go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is the greatest place you see this. I don't know if it's the greatest, but it's one of the places in the New Testament where this is really highlighted. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. My Bible title, it, we're going to start with, chap, with verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. My Bible titles, titles this as the God of all comfort. And Paul starts out with, with praise to God. He says, blessed be, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls him the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. But now Paul is going to let us know how he knows that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He says this. This is how I know it. Verse 4 who comforts us in our affliction. Now, Paul could stop right there, but he had a further revelation of this. And the further revelation was, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. So he says, I have been through affliction. I have experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I have experienced the strength of the Holy Spirit 
by the mercies of God. But it's not just for me to experience. It's so I can give that comfort to others who are going through affliction. And I can release the testimony. Press into God. He's going to comfort you. Press into God. He's going to release mercy in your affliction. And you know he was discipling others to go, and this, you're going to experience God in such a way that you're going to rise up with a testimony and others who are being tested like this and, and afflicted like this, you're going to be able to point them to Jesus. You can go on in those verses. It's just one more. Every verse, you're like, who thinks like this? The Holy Spirit does, but I don't think like this naturally. Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, (laughs) so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. It's what he's saying in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He's like, I'm enduring so that you can look at my endurance and continue in your walk of faith with Jesus Christ. Paul says it here. He goes, if I suffer, I'm, already, I'm automatically shifting my perspective that it's for you, which is just crazy. So back to 2 Corinthians, I mean, uh, 2 Timothy. A lot of seconds. Chapter 2. So again, verse 9, I'm suffering for Jesus, but then verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, that they may actually make it to the end. And then we have this, this, uh, these three verses that just kind of break in in this passage, and In your Bible, they're probably written a little bit different way. They're probably written like the way the Psalms are written in your Bible. It's because this is Greek poetry um, that's in your Bible. And they think that this is one of the hymns that were sung in the early church. So they think that Paul pulls back and in his encouragement, and he brings in a well-known worship song to to make his point, okay? So Paul might have been a little bit of a worship leader. I kind of like that. He does that a few times. They think Philippians chapter 2, where it says uh, the famous passage of, of um, that Jesus, I can't think of it. He did not hold on to his own deity as for his own advantage, but he made himself low and he became, I can't think of the passage right now. That passage, they think, is also a New Testament song as well. So, it says this. Paul says, just to make my point, I want to bring up this this probably song that you know and you sing in your church. It says this, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. So this is my whole point of we deny ourselves now so that we won't be denied then. So it's two positive statements, two encouraging statements. Verse 11 and 12a. It says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. And then it says, and if we endure, we will also reign with him. So two positive statements. If you die with Christ, if you deny yourself, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you have died with him, you hear the Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within this life I live. I live by faith and the Son of God who gave himself up for me, who loves me. Very similar here. If we died with Jesus, we will also live with him. If we endure, which means if we do not give up in testing. Hebrews 10 says, oh, church of these these Jewish believers, the letter to the Hebrews, it says, you have need of endurance. That's what he says in chapter 10. So that, the faithfulness that you have shown toward the Lord, you will be rewarded for it when you stand before it. So we have to endure during hard times. But if we endure, oh, what's going to happen? We will reign with him. We're going to sit on thrones with Jesus. 
One of my favorite uh, promises, we talked about those churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. One of my favorite promises and, and one of my favorite descriptions of the leadership of Jesus is that to the most backslidden church of these seven churches, to the one where he can't even name one good work that they have done. <laughs> he starts it. I'll just read it. He goes, Church of Laodicea. He goes, I know your works. And then he says, you are neither cold nor hot. Every other church, he said, I know your works. And he says something positive after that. Church of Laodicea, I know your works. They're nothing. He says, you're lukewarm. He says, you say you're rich. You say you have need of nothing. But you are naked in my eyes. You are wretched in my eyes. You are blind in my eyes. He says, now, Jesus just could have stopped there to the church of Laodicea. But he doesn't. His mercy is unending. He gives the, one of the greatest promises of overcoming to this church. He goes, if you turn around, if you buy from me gold that really lasts, if you anoint your eyes with eye salve by asking me to open up your eyes, I'm knocking. If you let me in and let me dine with you, he says, you will sit with me on my throne as I have also overcome and sat down with my Father on His throne. If you endure lukewarmness, meaning we don't want to put up with them, we want to fight against it. That's basically what He's saying here. If you overcome this, I'm going to see it and I'm going to reward you for all eternity. You're going to rule and reign with me. I think that's what Paul is hitting here in Second Timothy Chapter 2 says, if you endure, you're going to reign. And here's the two negatives. But if we deny him, and Paul's just very direct, he will also deny us. It's very similar to the book of Luke, very similar to Luke chapter 9. If you're ashamed of me, if you're ashamed of my words, I'm going to be ashamed of you. If you deny me, I will deny you. Now, I bet this is another reason Paul was going to endure. <laughs> Though he was in chains, he wasn't going to deny the Lord. He wasn't going to save his own life. He goes, if I deny him, when I stand before him, he will deny me. Now, you might have grown up in like a, a once saved, always saved theology, a once saved, always saved message. You give your life one time to the Lord you're going to make it and you're going to stand before him in heaven, but you can live your life the way that you want. Guys, the Bible does not describe our walk with Jesus Christ like that. We can't describe our walk with Jesus Christ like that. We can't manipulate someone into just praying a prayer. We got to tell them the true cost of following Jesus. Luke 14 says it's, uh, it's crazy the way he talks about it in Luke 14. It's, one of, it's another one of these cross passages and he goes, guys, before you say yes, Jesus says, I want you to count the cost. This is what it's going to cost to be my disciple. And then he uses two analogies about counting the cost. But the point, he says, to be my disciple, he just boils it down. He goes, you have to renounce everything else. But in the renouncing of everything else, you get me. And you get everything that I have. I mean... There's no plan B, guys. There's only plan A, which is renounce everything, but get all of Jesus. You get it all. He's coming. He's bringing a kingdom. He went to prepare a place for you so that he could come again and take you to himself. Guys, he is a king, and he's going to... Daniel chapter 7, when it talks about the kingdom coming... It never mentions it in a way that it's Jesus' kingdom. It mentions it in a way that it's the kingdom given to the saints of the Most High. It's crazy, the language. It makes you go, Wait, G G Jesus, this is kind of your kingdom. You should kind of make an appearance in Daniel chapter 7. He goes, I want you to get a point. I am coming with rewards that are going to blow 
your mind, but you got to renounce all, and you have to follow me. So, if we deny him, he will deny us. And then it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot, cannot deny himself. Now, what that means is if we pull back in our faith. Now, this means if we deny the Lord, if we say, nope, I'm not in this anymore. I'm living for myself. I remove faith from the equation. My faith in you, my confidence in you, I've become faithless. That doesn't mean you walk through a hard time and you're struggling in your life, and, but Lord, I believe in you, but oh, but this, this walk is hard. That doesn't mean he's going to remain faithful to himself and deny you. This means you turn your back on God. But he says, but if you do that, if you are faithless, he remains faithful to who he is. He cannot deny his holiness. He cannot deny his justice. You need the blood of Jesus Christ to be justified before his throne. And when you get there, he can't say, oh, that's not who I am anymore. And I'll make a special way for you. He, if we are faithless, he remains faithful to who he is, and he will be faithful to deny us. That's what Paul's saying here. Those are strong words, guys. But we need to hear that. Okay, so back to something encouraging, and then we'll end. Let's not end there. Marcus, don't, don't stop there. Um, Hebrews chapter 5. This is just a very quick encouragement, and then we'll gather into groups and pray for one another. Oh, I love Hebrews chapter 5. Because it describes Jesus as a man doing the very thing that he called us to do. Chapter 5, verse 7. It says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him, to his Father, who was able to save him from death. And he was heard, it says, because of his reverent submission to his Father. Because of his reverence to God. Because Jesus, as a man, denied himself and obeyed his Father's will he was heard. He was accepted. It says, and being made perfect. Now, this isn't describing Jesus never sinned, but he had to go through a process of denying sin. He had to go through a process of denying himself and making that way as that new Adam that is never going to sin and then is going to be that spotless lamb that sacrificed for our sins so that we could be sinless before the Father. I mean, just, ah, it's wonderful. He was made perfect, and, he, and so he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So all that to say, every time we are called to deny ourselves, Jesus knows what it means. It's personal to him. He's a human being forever. He has a res different body than you right now, but you're going to have the same body that he has. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. You're going to have that same body forever, and we will be men and women with Jesus forever. And he goes, I know what it takes. I have power for you to overcome temptation. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. The argument of Hebrews chapter 5 starts in chapter 4. Verse 14, Hebrews 7, and this is where we'll end. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. He says, since we have this high priest, let us hold fast our confession. Let us not deny him. Let us die with him so we can live with him. Let us endure with him so that we can reign with him. Hold fast to that confession. And then it says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but here's the caveat, yet without sin. He has been tempted as a man, as, as ha denying his flesh in every way that you have been tempted. He knows every temptation. He knows the feelings of rejection, and he didn't give in to that. He knows 
the feelings, uh, just our fleshly nature, and he didn't give in to it. He knows what it means to, to hear something from his father and to go, oh, if you could take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. And every time, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was given, he overcame. So all this to say, guys, talk to Jesus about how to deny yourself. He knows, and he has power, and he has wisdom. Talk to Jesus when we're tempted with sin and we're over, trying to overcome a sin pattern in our life. He knows how to overcome. He was tempted. He never gave in to it, but he was tempted. Amen. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just break up into groups of three and four, and we're just going to pray for one another. Amen? Lord, we thank you for this call to discipleship. Lord, we thank you that you did not, that you weren't unclear, that you were loving and you gave us all the information. But God, we need more than information. <laughs> we need the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to follow you. So Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that was with Jesus as He was tempted in every way that we are, but without sin, the same Spirit that empowered Him as a man. Holy Spirit, we ask You to come and empower us. Come and refresh us in our commitment to follow You. We love You, Lord, and we want to be Your disciples from now till the end. God, I pray that You would burn that revelation on our heart. That if we deny you, we will be denied. If we are faithless in you, that you will not change who you are. That you cannot deny yourself. But, Lord, if we have died with you, we will live with you. If we endure with you, we will reign with you. Give us the power to die to ourselves and give us the power to endure. And, Lord, in this life, we want to experience the life of God. And we want to experience through the grace of God, that Romans 5, reigning in life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen.